continue. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tipsy Unicorn podcast. My name is Abigail Twyman, aka Mr. the Mysterious, Babs the Badass Behavioral Scientist, Emerging Social Activist, Tipsiest of Unicorns, and Founder of Action for a Peaceful World. At AFAPWL, we're on a mission to fucking listen to stories of oppression and liberation, be radical in our development as accomplices, and take action in the service of dismantling systems of oppression that meet the quality expectations of established activists and their communities through this monthly podcast and weekly radical action circles. Every month, we welcome honored guests who are actively working to dismantle systems of oppression and promote collective liberation. During this podcast, we listen to their stories, hear their perspectives on oppression and liberation, and learn what drives them to action. Our crew of tipsy unicorns and thoughtful Kraken will then center our guests and their stories across a month of gatherings. In the Radical Action Circle, we fuel genuine heart connection amongst our beautiful creatures who are motivated to take action to create a more just, equitable, and peaceful world. We do this by providing a vessel in which our emerging activists and self proclaimed change catalysts can learn and grow by following our three-step plan. Fucking listen, be radical, and take action. At AFAPWA, we believe that the stories we hear influence the conversations we have, which drive the actions we take. So the question is, are you ready? Are you down to FBT? Well, then it's time to get tipsy. I am extremely excited and honored to welcome our fifth guest of 2021, Harry Hirsch, who is the sworn brother of one of our crew members, the thoughtful Kraken, Alex Weisenfels. And I'm very grateful that he accepted my invitation to come on the show. And so without further ado, Harry, let's start ha by having you introduce yourself. What do you believe is important for people to know about you in order to understand who you are as a person and what drives you? Um. <laughs> That's an interesting question. Uh, hello, I I'm Harry. <laughs> um, things that people should know about me um, in order to understand what kind of person and what drives me, let's see. Well, in a nutshell, I would say I'm weird in a lot of ways because I, I was, I'm culturally unique, let's put it that way, because I grew up, well, trapped under a rock, you know? And because of that, I did not, well, because of being trapped under a rock and I did not successfully absorb the cultures and perspectives of other people around me, you know? So it's like, I ended up basically being a culture of one, you know? Um, culture of two, now that I know Alex. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, I, I look forward to digging into that a little bit more because as you know, it, when you, yeah. Um, shared your introduction with me when we were getting ready for the podcast. Um, I thought like I was, I'm just really interested to hear your mm -hmm. kind of how, you know, how you came up, how you came into this world and how you grew up in this world and the, you know, our American culture and society. And I, I know that there's a lot of, you know, yeah. has, it seems to have produced <laughs> a lot of conflict in your life. And, you know, you yes. mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned, you know, feeling like you grew up under a rock. And so I think that our, our crew has a lot to learn um, from you um, and people who share, you know, share your life experiences and perspective of, you know, feeling alone and feeling like you are, you know, on an island by yourself. Um, and so hopefully we can um, dig in a little bit deeper and, and find some common connection because I, you know, I know that. Yeah. Some, 
sometimes we feel very alone, but once we start talking and sharing our stories, we realize that, you know, you're not, you're not alone. You're not alone in this world and feeling alone. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Agreed. And now that I actually know how to talk in a way that people can understand that is even going to be more successful at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That interpersonal <laughs> communication. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit. So right, Harry, yeah. so Harry, I have, you know, in thinking about what you just said about, you know, finding, finding ways for you to communicate better and be able, being able to kind of, uh, you know, share your perspective. What, what have you found that, that is, has works for you personally to, to help you be in a place that you, in which you can communicate yourself? Well, over the past couple of years, uh, Alex has been coaching me on my interpersonal skills and my communication skills. Um, the thing is, part of what my problem was before, to a large extent, was that I was never really given the chance to learn, you know, in- interpersonal skills properly. Because the thing is that, like, I mean, this goes, probably goes into some of your other questions that you might ask in a bit, but the thing is that my autism was largely caused by environmental factors, which I've actually like looked back and realized what those were, you know, because the thing is when I was a kid, my parents were very controlling. And, you know, if I made the slightest, tiniest mistake or did something, you know, ever so slightly that they would be bothered by, they just throw a fit at me. They'd blow up at me, you know, at least my father would. And my mother would just interrupt me constantly if I didn't say everything exactly right. If I didn't, you know, go into every social interaction with them with a plan and a script and knowing exactly everything that I needed to say in advance to them. Of course, going into every social interaction that you have with a plan and a script and knowing exactly, planning out meticulously exactly what, you in, gonna, what you're gonna say in advance, well, that's typical autism behavior, at least the high functioning kind. Mm-hmm. So essentially, my parents trained me from a very early age to be autistic, you know, as a defense mechanism, you know, to deal with their abusive behavior. Mm. Um, so, and then I got stuck in the system that was convinced that I was not capable of learning interpersonal skills. So they didn't try to, they didn't really try to teach me, you know, instead they tried to teach me crutches that made it worse. You know, they tried to teach me, you know, a lot of, uh, <laughs> rules and norms and you know procedures you know they try to teach me the rules of social interaction you know you know so and and that's how i learned to communicate when i was younger that i would try to figure out the rules for social interaction and then the exceptions of those rules and the exceptions to the exceptions on and on and nauseam you know it, it was like a jagged line that kept getting closer and closer to the curve and never quite get there you know yeah so now i know better now i know that instead of trying to find the rules first and then the exceptions later, you know, instead I have to try to like, look for those vague impressions, you know, you know, those feelings and then, and then, you know, flesh them out over time, like go from more general to more specific rather than the other way around. And then adding in the specific details after the fact, like, no, I just, that's not how you get to know someone. You start from the more general vague impressions and go and go down from there, you know, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's 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 so interesting, and I and I do hope that we can dig into a little bit more, a lot more, maybe about your 
um, experiences with the education system and how they approached you and, you know, tried to quote unquote help. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because I I think we're going to have, we're going to have a lot of agreement in our perspectives with how helpful their help is. Um, (laughs) But it, you know, that's, that's interesting that you, you know, kind of how you were trained, how you were taught to approach social communication and sharing your perspective seems to be the opposite of what you actually have found is effective for you as a person. Um, So that's, yeah, I, let's, I, I'm, I will, we'll dig into that. We'll dig into that point here, here in a bit. Um, So one of the, one of the questions that we that we ask all of our guests is about <laughs> books, so works of um, written works that you have read or come in contact with that you find kind of inspiring or motivating and think that other people should read. Um, and one of the books that you shared was um, "We're More Powerful Than You Think," and then you've also written a few. Um, yeah that you've already also written a few. And so before we get into your writings, which I want to dig into because I'd like to, I'd like to talk to you about that. Um, Can you share with us um, that kind of some key highlights from Eric Liu's book that you wanted to share with us? Yeah. So Eric Liu's book, the main, the main crux of that is that essentially what it says in the tin, you're more powerful than you think. And it goes into a lot of details about like, you know, you know, tricks and steps, things you can do to sort of like, you know, use your power and get more power and, you know, empower people you care about, that sort of thing, you know, Mm -hmm. and it does, and it says, and it has all sorts of interesting stuff like, you know, change the story or change the the, the the arena, you know, things like that, where it'll, it'll say things like, you know, like, and it has a lot of anecdotes where it's like, uh, it talks about uh, the, the uh, a, a group of migrant workers in like, I think, I don't remember exactly where it was, like somewhere in the United States, I think, who were being abused by their employers who are basically slaves, you know, for the, you know, for the big, you know, fast food restaurant in- industry, you know, and they organized and they started getting telling their stories and getting and getting things out there and it started this whole movement that like caused the that caused their situation to get much better um and so there's all sorts of things in that book it's it's basically it's basically kind of a walkthrough guide to citizen power you know Hmm. um you know how to use it how to gain more of it that sort of thing um and to be honest um I didn't actually finish it because I got so excited about what I already seen in it. And then I started like using some of the stuff in it. And then I just sort of like got practice, you know, calibrating my skills. And then I forgot to actually finish it because I got so busy with other things. And because Alex already read the whole thing, so I was just able to talk to him, you know, just have him summarize the parts that I hadn't read yet. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I I do that with the I've done that with a couple of books too, where it's like I get the general idea and I'm excited. It's like, yeah, I get it. I, I think I can already fill in all the blanks. But then having that person there who can, you know, like, yeah, you've read it. You can you actually can... fill the blank that you thought you had in it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. 
Um, and, and I haven't, so Alex has made that recommendation multiple times and I can't even remember if I've actually, um, downloaded the book either on Kindle or, or audible. And that's really good. And you definitely should read it. Yeah. But that's another one of my, I have that it's a bad habit of mine of collecting books and then, you know, not get not getting to not reading or waiting for other people who read it. Yeah. I know. At least I, there's a, um, you know, I've, come in contact with a few people recently who are encouraging students and themselves to do like the, a first chapter read on books and so I think I'm gonna I want to try to adopt that to, so at least I, yeah so then you just like you read the first chapter so then that you know it'll give you kind of an in, that introduction and then at that point then you decide like do I want to keep reading this is it wor- worth my time or is it like yeah I've already <laughs> It's hilarious that you had the exact same idea that I had because I already had an idea that idea is included in my book, actually. Oh, good. Oh, that's nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I know, right? Like, I built thought of it. Wow. <laughs> so, like, I had this idea in my book, and specifically in the chapter on uh, proposals for awesome infrastructure. Well, it was called a proposals for infrastructure projects uh, that don't require any new science or technology. And one of the proposals for a project was to build grassroots media, local grassroots media infrastructure out of creative writing slash reading clubs. So basically what you do is that you, everybody in the group uh, comes to the group with either a a short story or article or a, a passage from a work that either they read and enjoyed or that they wrote themselves. And each of these should only la- should only be like take about like five minutes to read, and mm-hmm. then they just take turns reading them to each other around the group, you know. And uh, and depending on how long you want the meeting to be, you can either give people more than one work of more than one five minute work to read, or just have people read longer works or something, and just mm-hmm. sort of figure out from there, you know. Yeah. And then if people like uh, the what they read or what they wrote, then it's like they have it on a list; they can recommend it to others, you know. Yeah. To their friends. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a giant fan of this idea, Harry. And because that sounds very similar to something that I've thought about in the past, because I, um, the classes that I was teaching when I first started a FAPWA, each course was Mm -hmm. based on three books. And my idea, like I wanted it to be much more of a discussion group, like, you know, we're going to read passages, we're going to share our thoughts and things like that. And it ended up being just me, like, talking about the books and I was and and I didn't like it. So I kind of stopped doing that. I was like, ew, this is like, I don't want to just be up on my, you know, pedestal, you know, preaching to people. (laughs) So but I love that idea of like, like, you know, things that you've written and things that you've read. Yeah, and that's also why I have to keep the length short, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, keep it short to like, five minute count or less. And if somebody wants to read more then they can on their own time. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, but at least at least it gives them. Oh, that yeah. Little, yeah, cool. I like I really like that idea. Yeah, and it's I, a great way to do self publishing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a great way to do self publishing on it. Because like, the establishment publishing industry is kind of rigged because it's like, if you try to go to the you know big publishing companies, they're like, it's like winning the lottery, like the, the whole publishing company accepted my work lottery. It's like, it's like winning the lottery. And if you try to go through like someone like Amazon publishing to self-publish there, 
then you have to compete with basically all of the other self-publishing authors who use that website in the entire world. Mm-hmm. And it's like nobody in your backyard can see what you wrote. You know, it's like nobody in your, in your own neighborhood knows that you're even an author. You know, it's mm-hmm. like. Yeah, yeah, that's difficult. I mean, it's difficult to get your stuff out there. But I mean, I, I, I see that as just another form of control and <laughs> oppression of voices where it's like the, you know, the, vo- the oh, voice yes, is like yours. Way. And so, so let's get yeah. into that a little bit. So the first, the first contact oh. that I had with you, <laughs> and I can't even remember if I spoke to you directly. I'm not even sure like what the chain of events was. Cause I know that I had some interaction yeah. with Gleb Sapersky and I had some interaction with Alex and I had some interaction with, and somehow I came across your book your first book which is um earthlings people of the dawn is that the one that failed (laughs) yeah i love it i know i know that you said that i know that you said it's a failed writing project but i swear to you that's what i shared the other day with the group is that i you know i had read it a long time ago and then i was you know kind of getting ready for the cycle and I was like I woke up in the middle of the night and I could not stop thinking about that book and I was like I need to read this again and I literally I woke up at one o'clock in the morning and I started reading it and I finished like I you know I just like it's a pretty quick read but I finished it in a couple hours and I was like oh my gosh I feel like this like gives me a great insight into who Harry might be as a person and like the, ex, you know, life experiences that, that he's had, but. To some extent, I mean, that book was kind of, uh, I mean, the thing is I've grown very, very quickly in the past, like two to five years, you mm-hmm. know? So that book, when it comes to what kind of person I am, it's a bit out of date, you mm-hmm. know? Cause it's like, the thing is that I've had to grow up very quickly at the last minute because mm-hmm. all the systems that were in place that tried to stop me from growing up. So <clears throat> I often did not have access to life, to the life experiences that I needed in order to, you know, you know, so in order to actually learn from my own experience a lot of times. So what I had to do instead, <clears throat> what I had to do instead was to read a lot of books and a lot of articles mm-hmm. and a lot of novels and talk to a lot of people and learn the and learn the lessons from their life experiences you know and absorb their wisdom and what and what they've gone through and make it my own Mm -hmm. in order to supplement the extremely scarce amount of personal life experience of my own that i've been able to get so even though my maturity level and my and my intellect and my competency are about the same as someone my own physical chronological age my actual level of personal experience of my own direct personal experience is probably about the same as the average 14 year olds. And that really pisses me off. Yeah. Not only that, but <clears throat> it also means that, lar- that there are large parts of my personality and my skills and my maturity, which were not adequately reinforced by personal experience. So they're not as stable. You know, there are a large part, large swaths of my innermost being, which are essentially collections of habits, which can be broken if I'm not paying enough attention and putting enough effort into them. 
which is really fucking terrifying because it's like it's that's my innermost being we're talking about there's not it's not like it's some surface level thing that's who i am yeah and it's not a mask that's genuinely me but i'm not used to being me and i haven't been used to being me for a very long time um and i've looked and 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 no matter what i've read no matter what who i've talked to I've never seen any scientific or historical documentation of anything remotely like that. You know, which tells me that most people probably have a lot more personal experience in the real world than I do. You know, that most people, you know, so that particular book that you read, mm-hmm. that was, you know, partway through the process. You know, when I was, you know, about a couple of years ago or so, but when the past like a year or two or so, you know, that was yeah. when I wrote that. And that's how I was, essentially that's how I was when I had a lower maturity level and less perspective in life, mm-hmm. you know, and writing that book helped me grow my perspective, but I wasn't quite done grow- Well, no, I mean, obviously no one's ever done growing, but I was right. sort of like halfway to where I am now, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think like, so that really <laughs> kind of, I think highlights what I some of the things that I, that I, that I saw in there and that I read into, into that work was that like, you know, missing, like the missing modules, right? Like I, I don't have these like things I haven't been, haven't been uploaded yet was kind of how I was, you know, reading that was like, you know, there's all, all of these things that I haven't gotten that I haven't, you know, been taught yet yeah. or haven't been uploaded and so I I saw that <clears throat> you know yeah you know how how you were kind of dealing with that and processing through and that's such the that's the power yeah. I think of writing and yeah. learning how to express ourselves is it helps to unpack a lot of that you yeah. know like a lot of the shit that we've experienced yeah. in our childhoods so and I would also say that one of the benefits of writing a self-insert as your protagonist of a novel that you're writing is that it allows you to have, at least if you have enough self-awareness, it lets you more easily take the outside view on yourself and your own behavior and your own mm-hmm. thoughts and feelings and stuff and how you interact with others. You know, so if you write a self-insert character, you know, you can see how, at least if you do it in the third person anyways, you know, if you write a self-insert character in the third person, that can really help with your self-awareness and, you know, understanding how you look from the outside. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point because it helps, you can kind of take that step back and be the observer, right? Ob- observer of self. Yeah. Um, and kind of engage yeah. in some self-reflection that way. So, yeah. well, I know you think it's failed, but I would still encourage people to do- download it and read because I, I, I think it was really... There, there was a lot there for me that I thought was really good, and then also like the dystopian political future that you know. I yeah, there was a lot I, of value in that book, but there was also a lot of things <laughs> that got wrong. And I would say that a lot of the things that, well, there were a lot of things that got right. There were a lot of things that got wrong, and the yeah. things that got wrong are the kinds of things that are much more likely to be salient to people who are right-brained than left-brained. You yeah, know, people who are more left-brained probably won't notice everything that's wrong with that book. Yeah, yeah, that, that's fair that's a fair point for sure um so then your so then your second book which you said is kind of a work in progress and that is uh don't read this book it's a waste of your time so can you tell us a little yes, bit about where that it depends on what you mean by work in progress it's more like a 
it's more like a permanent work in progress where it's like mm-hmm. if it were a physical book there would be like periodic like updated editions every so many years or so yeah. or every so many months you know mm-hmm. but since it's a wordpress online i can update it to the new edition whenever i want you know right. and i have a, a change log on there so mm-hmm. yeah so um i have I haven't had a chance to read the whole thing. I've read a couple, I've read a couple parts of it. Sure. Um, but what would, uh, did you read, did you start reading it before or after April 9th? Because there was a update on, I made on April 9th, which was very important for making it easier to read for the average person. I believe it was after April 9th. Oh, good. Just yeah. making sure. Um, so what are, so I have, I have something that I want to highlight from there, but I want to hear from you first. Mm-hmm. What are kind of, what are some highlights that you would like to kind of share or point out that we should pay attention to? Uh, in regards to like social justice and liberating people from oppression, you mean, or in general? Just in general, like, what do you, what do you think is like the most kind of like, you know, this is, this is what I want people to get out of it, or this is what I think people should get out of it. That's a hard question, considering mm-hmm. that I was earlier in the middle of trying to write a, an abbreviated version of the book for people who don't have time to read the whole thing, like a little cheat sheet thing. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I haven't finished that yet. So I would have to like, you know, look over the table of contents real quickly and t- in order to like say real quickly uh, what I think are the things that I consider like most important, you know, but hang on. So let me pull it up real quickly, pull up the table of contents and I can just name the chapters <laughs> that I okay. think should be, be paid a lot of attention to. So let's see. Foundational methods. Uh, let's see. UBI versus ASI. Which will you choose? Um, probably three. Probably three key questions for grassroots organizers. Is a big one too. And then I'd also probably I want people to pay attention to. Um, I mean, there's a lot of good ones in here, but like those three, uh, plus, you know, some of the proposals and the project and the, in the chapter about, uh, project proposals and, uh, and, and then if you really want to, you know, some like cathartic inspiration sort of stuff, you know, and get your, in, in motivate yourself, you can look at, uh, uh, the one titled what you're up against. Uh, but there's a lot of good stuff in there. Like other than that. You know, I don't think there's any, yeah. I'm not sure there's anything in particular that I would say is not, you know, something worth focusing on. Um. Yeah. Okay. So I will, um, so thank you for that, like sh- pointing out those, like the particular sections. So yeah. um, let's, let's focus on the first one, um, the, like the three key questions for grassroots organizers. What, like, yeah. What would you highlight from there for us? So this particular chapter is mostly in the form of a bullet point list. Mm -hmm. So the three key questions are, is it scalable? Is it diplomatic? And what's in it for them? So so the first one, is it scalable? The basic idea is that um, if you can do good for a million people, you should also be able to do that same good from one other person. And that makes it easier to grow because it's easier to get one other person involved to start with than to start with a million. And if you try to start with a million, then you'll end up, then your success will end up depending on pre-existing social clout and already established infrastructure and the leadership which generates it 
and then they have a lot of and then they end up with a lot of power over your decisions and how you do that so mm -hmm. but if you start on a small scale on a local scale with only one person and, and then grow from there then it you can have a bit more success that way and then uh the second one is it diplomatic you know the idea is make friends not enemies uh reach people where they're at not where you wish them to be you know treat people like real human beings not like outgroup robots and the and the and the, one of the very key things of that is that everyone's hopes and fears are valid on some level so if you want them to care about what you care about you got to be willing to care about what they care about mm. otherwise you can't offer them healthier alternatives to their current flawed attitudes or approaches that they would actually accept because they would see yours as more flawed than theirs by their standards and then there's what's in it for them civilization is made of relationships and relationships are built on mutual exchange so regardless of how noble your cause is <clears throat> or how many people will be helped by it, everyone always deserves to be compensated for their time and efforts, even if that compensation is intangible and hard to measure because you know, everyone only has one life to live and we all have limited time in our schedules to spend. So it's like that time needs to be treated with respect and consideration. So it's like, and the thing is like a truly noble cause doesn't need to weaken its agents to strengthen its beneficiaries. You can, you can empower others without weakening yourself, you know, in the long run on net. And you can also create new power out of nothing in the process. And of course, that goes into a lot of the sort of things that Eric Liu said in his book. So of course, this is, I strongly encourage people to read that still. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, like, like he basically says in his book, social power is a renewable resource. So it doesn't have to be a zero-sum game. And so, yeah, those are the, so those are the three uh, key questions that I would want grassroots organizers to be asking. Is it scalable? Is it diplomatic? And what's in it for them? As in what's in it for the people they're trying to get on board? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's, I love those points. And that's very, you know, it's very much in alignment with what we're, you know, what we're trying the message that we're trying to send to people is because there are, mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of the <clears throat> change efforts have been, you know, too big, like too big, too soon, too fast without doing the groundwork, without yeah. building the relationships, without, so. it's like, no, prove yeah. your like proof of concept first, build relationships yeah. first, figure out what the, you know, connect with those yeah. whom you're trying to serve first before you start building right. anything because it's, yeah. Right. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. So, so this connects, this connects to the, the section that I <laughs> focused in on when I, you know, I read through the table of contents and like the, the main one that jumped out at me was the, um, was the section on the education system. And I can't remember the title oh. of the section. Problem with our education systems. Yeah. So that's where, <laughs> that, that is where I live my life is within the education oh. system. And oh. it, it is very disheartening um, because from the time I, from the, from when I got my master's degree, I was uh, trained as a special education teacher. 
my training was focused on my training was focused on, you know, person centered, Mm. you know, person centered planning, we should be focused on the individual and what they need and what they like, how they, you know, how they're going to be successful in their environment. And it was what I, what I feel like is where we should be. It's all about the human being first, Uh right? And what does that person need? What does their family need? How can we help them attain their, you know, hopes, dreams, and goals? Yeah. And then I went into the actual school system and it was like a total mismatch. It was not, it was like, this is such an idealized version of what it should be. But then you get into Mm -hmm. the system and it's like, holy shit that is not what is happening and what I found Mm -hmm. was like my first um my first teaching experience I the moment Mm -hmm. I walked in the door I was taking over somebody's caseload as a special education teacher I had 40 kids on my caseload you know and it was Mm -hmm. supposed to be all the kids were supposed to be you know included in their in the classroom and then I had you know I I was like the resource room teacher who was you know reading writing math social skills curriculum number one there was like no no plan nothing I you know I didn't know what I was supposed to do but then the the culture just with the teachers like the teachers and Mm -hmm. the other students and the families when it came to like how they treated the like the people that I was supposed to be serving it was like Mm. I walked in the door, Harry, and I kid you not, mm. within the first, the first day yeah. I was there, I had a, I had a, a teacher, appro- teachers approach me. Everybody hates this kid. We don't want them in our class. But, and just like tore this kid apart, like broke this oh kid God. down. And he was in fifth grade, like this poor, oh like God. this baby. And I was like, what? oh my gosh, you're making this per-. like, you know, they were like, the kids hate him. The parents hate him. Nobody wants, I was just like, oh my gosh, what is happening? This is horrible. And yeah. And so like, you know, my training was like, you know, you got, you've got to connect. You need to understand where this kid is coming from, what they've experienced, who they are as a person, what they need. Yeah. And so I started to get to know this kid and like the abuse that this kid had endured. And the um, trauma that he had experienced in his life and to be met with like, you know, this home experience. And then also to be met with that level of like abuse and neglect at school. I was just the, I only, I spent one yeah. year there and like at the end of the year, I, I put together like this manual of like shit that people need to know. Like you guys really need to change your culture and your practices. And I stood in a staff meeting. I I stood in a staff meeting and was basically like ripped them a new one. And I was like bawling because I'm Mm -hmm. like, you guys are just like, I can't believe that this Mm -hmm. is allowed to continue. And then I, you know, I said my piece and went my way, but it was just like- And they did not take it off the day. Oh no, absolutely not. But the, you know, and then now I'm back in, I left the teaching profession, went to, you know, the whole other side of the scale, which is like the medical industrial <laughs> complex of, you know, autism yep. treatment, which is a whole nother yeah. shit show. Right. <laughs> but right. um, 
I, but then now I'm back in the education system. And again, I'm like, nothing's changed. It's the same. We have the same, you know, I have the same things being said about kids, the kids being treated the same way by people who are supposed to be in this caring, helping profession. So, um, so some of the, some of the highlights I just wanted to kind of like put out there and then you can kind of hopefully share with me your experiences, your perspective, but you said things like children are treated like pets and slaves. Agree. Mm -hmm. They're being trained (laughs) for factory jobs, given big, uh, busy work and being treated like they're ignorant and incompetent. Totally agree. Um, Mm -hmm. Treated as if they have no minds and no souls. They're, de- they're denied educational and vocational opportunities that will actually serve them in their futures. hundred um, percent. Punishment is socially acceptable. Absolutely. I see that all day, every day. Um, the culture. Not just but... Sorry, go on. Yeah. No, no. Say, not just punishment, but punishing them for being responsible, punishing them for trying to gain the life experiences and the actual educational vocational experiences they need to learn life skills in the first place yes yes yeah yeah the yeah the culture children are a part of should be their choice not you know dictated by those you know their parents and other adults and authority figures in their in their Mm -hmm. lives um and the kind of the last point is if people want to fix the system they need to start with the parents so can you just Give it to me, Harry. Tell me. <laughs> so, most parents are child abusers. And, like, not just most parents, like, the vast majority of parents in existence are child abusers. And I know this is probably really hard for most people to hear because a very, very sizable number of people in general become parents. So, what that says is that everyone is abusive. Everyone is an abuser. And I think, and and that's also gonna be hard for people to hear. I think part of the reason for it is because (sighs) hurts people hurts people. (laughs) People who lack control over their own lives seek that control over the lives of others. And people who never had the chance to grow up in the first place, people who lack the maturity and life skills to take responsibility for their own choices because they never were taught how to do that, they cannot teach that to their kids. And then when their kids try to learn that on their own, their parents get freaked out because then that in the, the kids that end up doing would end up doing better than them. That's not a that's not allowed, you know. Because if the kids are better than the parents, then that completely invalidates the parents and their experiences and and their sense of them being the good guys, you know. And then it's like and then they can no longer control their kids you know yeah and if they can no longer control their kids they have nothing to control at all that's kind of the impression i've been getting mm-hmm. and i've i've been tr- i've been trying to you know to silence that part of myself that you know that that despises parents in the same way that you know african americans might despise southern plantation owners because it's not healthy because then i would have to despise basically everyone including myself you know even though i'm not a parent you know i was a very toxic person for most of my life because of how I was treated by this whole situation. Mm-hmm. And, and I got tired of that. I got tired of being in that horrible rage and hatred and yeah. anger. I just got tired of that, you know? 
So it's like, but the thing is, there, there is still that part of myself that, you know, when the authoritarian, when the abuse of authoritarian powers that be who control our government start doing something abusive and authoritarian and people complain about that. And I want, and there's a, there's still a part of me that I, that I've learned to like ignore and suppress, but there's still a part of me that wants to tell them, you fucking hypocrites, you fucking hypocrites. You know, like you, you think that these people in charge are these alien, in, inhuman alien lizards? Well, what does that make you? Look in the damn mirror, you know, like they're no different from you. You're all humans, you know, like. Yeah. Well, and the reality is, is that we're all a product of this abusive, oppressive system. Mm-hmm. Right. And, so, and, it's the, and it's this vicious, never ending cycle, because I, you know, I look back yeah. at my own, my, you know, my own experiences with, you know, being raised by <clears throat> abusive people and, you know, self, self, yeah. self abuse and ab- abuse of others. And, you know, I, yeah. yeah, I too have like harbored so much hatred in my heart for, you know, for that and that experience. And I can't believe that, you know, I had to endure this and then, but then you start talking about it and really, yeah. you know, doing the writing and, you know, reflecting back. And it's like, they're also a part of this shit system. Right. And they're all, they've yeah. also experienced abuse yeah. in their life. And, you know, I look back at, you know, members of my family who, yeah. um, you know, you, you look at them now as adults and you're like, oh my gosh, you're so maladjusted and you're just a terrible person. But then you, then you learn more about what they experienced as a child and, oh, well, you know, they were, you know, they were like the not, you know, they were the naughty kid. And so they were, you know, they were beaten and they were shunned and they Mm -hmm. were locked away. And I was like, oh, well, of course, like, of course you turned out this way. It just makes sense. Right. (laughs) <laughs> right because like that's all they were shown like if people that's what you were shown by your role models and authority figures of course they're going to act like that as an adult yeah as an adult yeah you know? right like, yeah by by age right well and and that the way that we treat our children it stunts their development mm-hmm. it stunts their growth and you know yeah. like very much so and then we're surprised we're surprised people, that people are failing work, yeah yeah. right it's like if people don't have access to a real genuine education then we end up with entire generations who never actually grew up entire generations or mostly entire generations mm-hmm. who even if they're chronologically you know 30 40 50 years old or so mm-hmm. and even though they you know are able to take care of themselves in their own lives to some extent mm-hmm. They're still children mentally, you know, they're still children up here, you know, and they're still yeah. children in here, you know, in their hearts, you know, even though they don't like to admit that, you know. Right. But it's clear in their behaviors, their, their observable yes. behaviors. Very much so. <laughs> pretty. pretty and I would clear. say that's most people. Most yeah. people are children in some way, shape or form, you mm-hmm. know, it's just a, you know, everybody has different pieces of what it means to be a, an adult and yeah. they don't have each other's pieces. Right. And we're all like very like grossly underdeveloped. You know, I like, you know, my coping, my coping mechanism through my childhood was just to like, I'm just going to like put my head down and focus on my studies and I'm just going to, you know, keep going forward. But 
I didn't get any of those other like life skills, mm-hmm. you know, daily, yeah. ac- you know, activities of daily living and how, you know, routines and habits yeah. that serve you and, <laughs> you know, to right. live, just live. A, yeah, yeah, exactly. It was just like, Oh, you just need to do your reading, writing and math and, you know, get to college and you'll be fine. Yeah. And then I got there and I was like, uh, I'm missing a lot of skills. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Thank you, free yeah. and appropriate public education. Thank you, education. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm like, public free and education. Free, yeah. Free and appropriate public education in the least restrictive environment. I don't like, I don't actually think that any of our education system fits that bill for no, most people, probably 100%. Um, probably 100%. Unless they're yeah. homeschooled. And even when they're homeschooled, not even then sometimes. Well, yeah. Well, because then the parents, the parents don't know what to do. Like I'm dealing with that right now. Um, You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of parents in our local school Mm -hmm. districts that have decided to pull their kids out because they don't like what's going on within the school system, but they themselves don't know what to do and how to support their kid. And I'm really, Mm -hmm. I'm concerned that that is, you know, putting kids more at risk for just a different kind of abuse. Yeah. So yeah yeah <clears throat> at least in the schools they were exposed to other people than their parents you mm-hmm. know and other people in this kids next door that their parents are friends with their yeah. parents it's like like at least in the schools are less socially isolated yeah you know despite all the other crap you know yeah yeah but at least they're yeah at least they're exposed to something some you know but maybe there's one, the one yeah. like one adult in their life that's gonna you know be that be that person to connect with them yeah and it's like on it seems to me like part of the reason for the social isolation of course is because you know because our society believes that the social isolation is correct and just you know mm-hmm. like like i was saying earlier how, how kids in our society are treated like pets and slaves and are not treated as real people they're not treated as if they have actual minds and souls so it's like if you see how people actually interact with kids in public, it's really a non-interaction. You know, it's like mm-hmm. they, you know, kid says, kids runs out, gets in your way, does something stupid, and you're like, excuse, normally if you were, they were an adult, you'd say, excuse me, I'm trying to get through, excuse me, can I get through, please? But instead, if it's a kid, then you, and it's the parents who you say that to, you say, you say to the parents, hey, can you get your kid to stop being chaotic and running around like this? Because, you know, I almost crashed into them, you know? Mm-hmm. And you say that to the parents, not the kids, as if the parents are the ones who control you know, what, whether the kid is being hyper or not. It's like, what? Like the kids got, that's not how you teach the kids. The parents right. already know how to do that. You need to teach, the kids need, are the ones who need to learn how to, you know, be responsible and not be reckless. But, yeah. you know, and it's, and it's like, and it's like, if, it, whenever it's you, kids in, your, in society, it's like, people don't talk to them unless the parents are around. And it's all, and, you know, even when, it's, and it's like, or unless they're, you know, within the confines of a school building. Mm-hmm. Anywhere else in society, if if there's a kid on it, anywhere nearby, and they're not accompanied by by their parents or guardian or even an adult older sibling, everyone is like, "Don't talk to me," you know, <laughs> like 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 even when it's like in a safe area where a lot of friendly adults around and nobody's gonna do anything harmful or anything, and everyone's like, "Let's not talk to the kid," you know, mm-hmm. "Let's not talk to him," you know. They're just gonna be you know, annoying and embarrassing, and you know, and 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 we don't want to talk to them. You know, they won't have yeah. anything interesting to say. Right, and like pretend, like 
it, it, pretend as if they don't even exist or they're just like a yes. yeah or Talk and then them it, as if they're not even in the room yeah and what i see a lot is that it's like you know we i've seen this perpetuation of abuse where it's like it it's that shame that shame and blame cycle right so the parents feel the parent feels shame because yes. they don't know how to control their kid and their kids out of control somebody notices it and then they like scream and like you know they're like abusing their children for the benefit oh, of this gosh, other person. Temper changing their own kid. Oh yeah, I saw it. Like I've I've seen it's one like, recently in public. Yeah, yeah. So, I had a I had a parent actually do that and it, then look at look at me look at me oh. like that that like I should be congratulating them for being an asshole to their kid. I was like. Yeah, you're not getting that reaction from me. <laughs> I know, right? They do that, don't they? they do that. It's like, like the temper tantrum at your kid in public, and then they look at you like, like, <laughs> yeah. Well, see how like, see how powerful no, I am. Yeah. Like, no, you're you're an asshole. Like, that's literally that, all you showed right. me. All you proved to me is that you're an asshole. That's yeah, you're still haven't grown up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like. It's like if you want to raise a kid, maybe you should wait until you're actually an adult first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Do some self-reflection. Love yourself before you think that you can like that you can love a kid in the way that they need to be loved and supported. Right. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So um, so in your when you were uh, responding back to some of the questions and uh, in preparation, Uh, we were talking about like songs and and one of the so the song at the end of that that section of the of your book, the mm-hmm. "Don't Stay in School," I had never heard that song before, and so I listened. That's to not it. one of my songs. It's somebody else's song. No, no, yeah, Again? it's the yeah, no, it's not your song. It was no, the one that else. you had linked to. Yeah, I want to yeah. make that clear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I had I I listened to that and I read yeah. the lyrics and. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I was like, that's yeah. really good. But Although you I did write my own Americanized version of it. Oh, did you? Okay. So tell me about that because you did mention yeah, that you trans- write some songs. I, I, yeah. So I translated his song into American language. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. So, I tra- I, so his song is written in British English. I translated it into American English. Mm-hmm. I haven't published it or anything like my version of it anywhere yet, but I have, I wrote it in my head, you know? So yeah. Yeah. I like oh, you it. Want to hear it. Yes, of course. Okay, okay here we go. <clears throat> I wasn't taught how to get a job, but I can remember dissecting a frog. I wasn't taught how to pay taxes, but I know lots about Shakespeare's classics. I was never taught how to vote. They devoted that time to defining isotopes. I wasn't taught how to look after my health. But mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Never taught a lesson about current events. Instead, I studied the old American West. I was never taught what laws there are. I was never taught what laws there are. Let me repeat, I was not taught the laws for the country I live in, but I know how Henry VIII killed his women. Divorce beheaded died, divorce beheaded survived. Now that's in my head instead of financial, instead of financial advice. I was taught the wavelengths for different hues of light, but I was never taught my human rights. Apparently there's 30. Do you know them? I don't. Why the hell can't we both recite them by rote? I know igneous, metamorphic, and sedimentary rocks, but I don't know squat about trading stocks or how money works at all. Where does it come from? How does the thing that motivates the world function? 
not taught to budget or disperse my earnings. I was too busy there rehearsing cursive. Didn't learn how much it costs to raise a kid or what an affidavit is, but I spent days in what the quadratic equation is. Negative B plus or minus the square root of B squared minus 40C over 2A. That's insane. That's absolutely insane. They made me learn that over basic first aid or how to recognize the most deadly mental disorders or diseases preventable causes or how to buy a house with a mortgage if I could afford it because abstract math was deemed more important than a device that could literally save thousands of lives. But it's cool because now I can tell you if the number of unnecessary deaths caused by that choice is prime. Oh, sorry, I lost my channel. Caused by that choice is prime. Never taught present day practical medicines, but I was told what the ancient Hippocratic method is. I've got a headache, the pain is ceaseless. What should I take? Uh, maybe try some leeches? Could we discuss domestic abuse and get the facts or how to help my depressed friend with the dis oh, what was it? Sorry. How to help my depressed friend with the, no, I'm trying to make sure I got it to rhyme right hand. How, I think I said mental sound. Yeah, how to help my depressed friend with, was it this one? Yeah, how to help my depressed friend with a, with, with a, did I say disability? I forgot. I, I changed this one, I think, and I, then I changed it back into the mental state, I think, because I had to make it rhyme. So how to help my depressed friend with a mental state? Uh, no, but learn mental math because you won't have a calculator with you every day. They say it's not the kids, the parents are the problem. Then if you taught the kids to parent, that's the problem solved then. Or this advice about using a condom, but not for when you actually have a kid when you want one. When you want one. I'm, I'm only fluent in this language. Seriously? The rest of the world speaks too. I'm oh, sorry. The rest of the world speaks too. It's utter lunacy. It's utter lunacy. They showed us the solar over the political system. I'm sorry. It's utter lunacy. You chose, you chose the solar over the political system. So like a typical citizen, now I don't know what I'm voting on, which policies exist or how to make them change. Instead, I learned bad Spanish to be laughed at in Spain. So when I was 18, I was expected to elect a representative for a system I had never, ever, ever been presented with. But I won't take it. I'll tell everyone my childhood was wasted. I'll share it everywhere how I was educated and insist these pointless things don't stay in school. I love it. It was like the, that is the manifesto on the education system. Right? Yeah. And it, you know, that's, there, there's a, there's a shift I, that is, happening in our society it it seems and you know that's just from you know where what I what I yeah. see and hear happening but more people's eyes are being opened up to the fact that our educational system and the way that we're you know trained in to you know to be human beings um is is the problem is a core part of the problem why yeah. we why we see these chronic issues yep. and you know yeah. i like i i look at this yep. i look at the statistics on um you know alcohol abuse and drug abuse and domestic violence and suicidality and all, all of mm -hmm. these you know chronic social yep. problems that are you know are chronically the data are chronically stagnant like we're not doing anything yeah. different we're just trying yeah. you know and yeah you know i don't know if it's political will or 
you know, where, where exactly it happens, but there are, you know, a lot of people who are choosing again, not to have their, you know, children be a part of that system, but then, then the question becomes how do, how do we make sure that it's being replaced with something that is like, is going to prevent those problems? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, not just like, we're just going to like, Math, mass exodus from the system into nothingness but it's like yeah we we need there has to be a replacement there has to be something constructive yeah. that we're doing yep agreed mm-hmm. um and i'll also say and i'll also say that like a lot of like i lost myself yeah i remember well i'll also say that a lot of the problem like i feel like a lot of the core crux of the problem that and alex and i started to notice this more recently is that people we kind of have a bit of this you know spiritual epidemic of you know demotivation and hopelessness and learned helplessness honestly because people were told their whole lives that they can't by their parents by their schools by their friends by their cultures by their governments everyone everyone is telling themselves and each other that they can't and so they t- and so they believe that they can't and then because of that, they don't try as, and they don't apply themselves as much as they could. They don't think outside the box because they're stuck in that mindset of, I can't, I can't, I can't. Mm-hmm. And then because of that, they wait forever for a, a fairy godmother or a superhero or a politician or an expert or some other champion to swoop in and save them from their own problems. You know, it's... It, and if people, and, and, but people don't, we don't need that. We could just, we could just save ourselves and each other, you know, mm-hmm. instead of waiting for the big high status hero, you know, because like, that's why our society is so over-centralized mm-hmm. because we're, we keep waiting for the big shot hero for the singular person who swoops in to fix everything, you know, instead of breaking the giant problems down to smaller parts. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah. So, and so we, and when you're trying to make it so that only the big shot heroes, you know, are in charge of actually fixing the problems, then that, that's how you end up with our current political system where we have these mm-hmm. big, huge ass politicians running our lives. And then we wonder why things are so bad. Well, because they can't do it all by themselves, you know, because, right. you know, another way to refer to a over, to an over-centralized power hungry system is a system where a small minority of people have too much responsibility on their shoulders. They don't have the skills. They don't have the ability to manage everything themselves, but we expect them to, and we, and we yeah. make it, try to make them do so. And then, they, and then of course they're gonna mess up. And then we get mad at them for that instead of just taking things into our own hands. Right. Yeah, I, that's, yeah, you're a hundred percent. You're hundred percent correct on that. And I, I look at, I look at the, you know, our hopelessness, our helplessness, our, our, our sense of powerlessness <laughs> is deeply embedded yeah. in our, in our system. And it's, you know, the colonialism, white <laughs> supremacy <laughs> mindset where it's like, and, you know, what's the first step of the 12 step, you know, the 12, the, you know, step one of 12 steps is admit you're powerless. And it, so it's like, baked into the system like we want you to feel yeah. powerless you're not powerless we're the one we have the answers we're the you know 
<laughs> yeah, and, and I would also I would also add to that that a large part of that whole problem is that <clears throat> four centuries ago, after our after Francis Bacon discovered our societies, he he discovered the first foundational method that he, well not discovered because I don't want to say discovered because it would be like discovering a mathematical theorem which. It's kind of ambiguous whether that counts as a discovery or an invention, but you know, four centuries ago, Francis Bacon was the first to catalog the, our, our species' first foundational method, which he called the scientific method. Then, for centuries, it didn't occur to anyone to ask, hang on, what if there are other methods that we can use that that we can make or use for other things besides solving mysteries because you know science the scientific method the whole point of that is to solve mysteries if the problem you're dealing with isn't a mystery but some other type of problem well a method that was designed for solving mysteries won't work that well on it but people try to do that anyways and they try to reframe the problems as if they're mysteries like for instance let's give a hypothetical example Somebody asked, what is the most effective research-backed strategy for tying our shoes? And then they're like, don't give me any you know, anecdotal or folk wisdom about this. I wanna see peer-reviewed research studies that have been thoroughly you know, cited, cited all those words, whatever. You know, yeah. It's like, you don't need that to tie your shoes. You just need to you know, practice, you know, learn from the experienced practitioners in that field and practice mm -hmm. until you're good at it. You know, um, but unfortunately, we live in a society where people, where they just sort of tried to apply science to literally everything and up, up, up to ad nauseum. So we end up with lots of these giant institutions who believe that they are really good at their jobs when they're not, because they have a, they have a procedure, a list, a step-by-step -step list of criteria or steps that they need to take you know, to do their jobs well, according to the scientists mm -hmm. who didn't, who's never actually practiced that job. Right. And because, and then because everyone else, all of their competitors are making the exact same mistake, they think, well, if we're doing better than those people, then we're doing well, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and, and so it's, and so it's like, because the thing is a foundational method, one of the hallmarks of a foundational method is that it makes it much easier to learn and teach a particular kind of skill you know, so that people can learn it more quickly and then it can scale into infrastructure much faster and much more uh, to much larger extent, you know, over time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, part of the reason that they tried to apply science to everything, I think, is because it was the only foundational method we had for a long time. So it's like the, if, you, if, you, if they tried to do, if they tried to deal with a problem where that wasn't a mystery and well, they would have to use some other kind of foundational method to grow the infrastructure for that if they wanted to grow that infrastructure as quickly as they would for a research infrastructure. So that's what they so that's what they did with science because they didn't have the other foundational methods. Mm -hmm. But then again, but then there's like the thing where it's like even centuries later in the 1950s, we got our second foundational method. The, what I've been calling the management method, which you know, which was called which was called the the Deming cycle or the Sheward cycle originally which was first cataloged by Dr. W. Uh, Edwards Deming, you know, and it was, instead of being a research method, this was a 
planning method, an organizational management method. And somehow ended up being stuck in, you know, business in business in the business industry. And, and it was used by managers, but like nobody seemed to notice, hey, you can use this in your own life without any employees. You know, nobody noticed that. And society just walked right past it. And so many lives could have been saved. So much improvement to our society could have been made if we just noticed that, hey, we have another foundational method. Now let's use it. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happened in 1997. These two flowers came up with the right catalog, the writing method. You know, the whole, Alex might have told you about that. I don't, don't know if you did or not. The writing yeah. method was basically like, uh, it's, so yeah, the writing method is a method for writing more effectively. So there's the four steps. So the way it was originally formulated by Betty Sue Flowers in 1997, there were four steps to it. The madman, the architect, the carpenter, and, and the judge. So the madman, what he does is that, you know, you just, you just write down all the ideas you can think of. You generate a bunch of ideas and write them down, you know. You know, as many as you think of, no censors, don't cut anything out, just all of it. Then, like everything you can think of. Then, then after the after the madman, there's the architect, which is where you struct, start to structure uh, the ideas that you wrote down, that the madman wrote down, into you. You make it more organized. You know, you make it a bit more coherent. Then the carpenter, you know, his job is to flush it out. You know, add more detail. You know, turn it into paragraph form, that sort of thing. Then the judge, his job or her job, whatever. You know, they're supposed to like. Uh, fix all the mistakes and, you know, make sure that everything, you know, in like eliminate things that aren't necessary, you know, you know, grammar mistakes need to be fixed, you know, make sure, it, you know, is worded well, and then it makes sense, you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's the original formulation of the writing method. 1997, cataloged by Betty Sue Flowers. And again, our entire species walks right past it without noticing it and didn't realize how much good it could do, how many lives would be saved, if we just started using it and started building infrastructure out of it. Mm-hmm. But nobody noticed because everybody was so stuck in, you know, we found this foundational method, our first one, the scientific method, and we just milked it for all it was worth and didn't realize its limitations because it was the first thing of its kind. It was such a big thing for all of our, for our entire civilization, our whole species. So it's like, we, we, made, we made this big freaking deal out of it because it was, in a lot of ways, the best thing that ever happened to us ever in the history of ever. Mm-hmm. But because it was the best thing that ever happened to us in the history of ever, we overhyped it, as we often tend to do. And we made it as if it was a much bigger and better improvement than it actually was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the argument is always like, well, it takes the emotion out of it. Then it's not anecdotal. And then we can just like, it's, you know, this is the truth. This is, you know, we can get down to it. And it's like, that. <laughs> If you take the hu- if you take the human and the hu- you know if you take the human and humanity out of what we're doing, then like we're basically we're treating yeah. ourselves and each other as automatons, and that's you know that is not the world I yeah. want I want to live in either. Right? <laughs> yeah, and it's like honestly, like, and this go- also goes into the whole thing about like you know analysis versus the whole thing versus the whole like difference between analysts and seers you know it's mm-hmm. like on the one hand you have analysts who make much fewer predictions 
and then try to you know, evaluate them and check them and recheck them over and over and over again, try to make them as perfect as possible. You know, try to make them as accurate as, as well as few mistakes as they can possibly. You know, like they they try to minimize their mistakes and make fewer predictions. Mm-hmm. And they try to like, you know, get really nitty gritty, make things absolutely perfect in the details. Well, on the other hand, you have seers who try to make more predictions or more general predictions, and maybe they make more mistakes. But because they're making more predictions, they have more chances to be right. You know, mm-hmm. so it's like, so, so like a seer. You know, they would probably use things like empathy and organizational planning skills and imagination and intuition to make their predictions versus an analyst or a scientist. On the other hand, they're going to be using more, you know, analytical skills, you know, and investigative skills and logic, you know. So and and we and we live in a society where, you know, we where our our whole system is set up to trust one but not the other because we got because. We live in a world where the where the where our first foundational method was the investigative method, and then we didn't and then we didn't get the writing method until 1997. Mm-hmm. We we didn't get the diplomatic method until 2019. We didn't get the persuasive method until 2021. So, if things had happened differently, if we had gotten things like the writing method and the diplomatic method, or or like the persuasive method, we've gotten those in 1620 instead of science if we had not gotten science until like 1997 things would have gone very differently we would have the opposite problems that our society of what our society currently has to deal with <laughs> you know like i was actually talking about this with Alex the other day about like a few days to a week ago like apparently like what we're realizing is that imagine an alternate universe where the writing method or the pathfinding method had been the first to be cataloged in 1620, and we didn't get the scientific method until you know 1997. In that hypothetical world, there would be our education systems instead of would be focusing much more on stifling the critical thinking skills rather than stifling inspiration and creativity. You know, because in our world, you know, our education systems in our in our society in our you know establishment, they try to stifle our creative thinking. You know, our creativity, our feelings, our inspiration, you know, they try to keep things in a box, you know. Well, in this hypothetical alternate reality where we got the writing method or the pathfinding method first before science, that hypothetical universe would be one where we'd have the opposite problem where they'd be, they'd be the teachers would be saying, the teachers would be saying like things like, remember kids, remember kids trying to ask, trying to understand, trying to understand what. Uh, trying to remember that. Yeah, remember, kids, trying trying to understand things causes them to break, or you know, go out there and and you know, experience all that life has to offer, but never ask why. Never ask why they are things. Why things are the way they are. Only ask why not. You know, <laughs> totally the opposite problem of what we have today. In our yeah. Society. And and on top of, and on top of that, like I imagine the intestine world. Their governments, their governments would not work the way the one the way they do in our world because they'd probably their equivalent of government would probably be something like, you know, the really creative. Well, I don't know if you're familiar with characters from anime, but they'd basically be like run by like the shonen anime protagonist sort of people like Naruto or Asta or Ash Ketchum. You know what I mean? Those sorts of personalities, mm-hmm. and they'd basically be like, and, and they wouldn't be like bossing people around so much as being like. Hey, I have an idea. Want to hear it? And everyone's like, "Sure, let's try this thing." And everyone's like, "Oh, wow, that sounds fun. Let's try that." 
regardless of whether it's actually safe, regardless of whether it's actually wise, regardless of whether it's actually effective. Mm-hmm. And then the, the countries that would have the most power in the world stage would be the ones who, against all odds, would have been c- continually pulling rabbits out of their hat and you know coming up with clever, creative ways to overcome adversity and over you know at the last moment you know when all seems lost and over and over and over again the ones who actually won and got power on the world stage would be the ones who you know were the most had the most ingenuity and the most mm-hmm. artistic and the most style mm-hmm. you know so and, and of course and of course in that world people would be like you know very distrustful of scientists and analysts and be like like if you if you don't if you remove your yourself and your feelings from from what you're doing and from your predictions, how can we trust your predictions? Because then it's like, you're, if you don't care about predictions, if you don't care about your predictions, why would you be motivated to actually make them good predictions? You know? Right. So, and of course there's a lot of very valid arguments against that, but in that hypothetical world, they wouldn't see that, you know? Yeah. So what's the answer? Just like a, hap- a happy so, medium? So <laughs> Basically, yeah. And for people to... You know, you know, one of my, well, to, well, happy medium combined with, you know, well, it's not just a happy medium. You don't just want to balance the two sides. Mm-hmm. You want to bring the best of both. You want to get the best out of both of them. You know? Yeah. Like one of the things, one of my mottos that I would say is um, life and civilization are the great balancing act. You know, so there's a lot of like, <clears throat> you know, different personality. You know, the thing about different cultures, different personalities. Cultures are basically what personality looks like when you zoom out to large populations, mm-hmm. you know, and just like personalities can become, it's like individual personality, individual people can become, you know, stronger, wiser, smarter, kinder over time. So can cultures because cultures are just personality, you know? Yeah. And, I'm, and it's like, you know, it, it's like, it, you know, this hypothetical, you know, alternate universe where they're more creative and less analytical, you know, that that should set some light on this. It's like, you know, they basically have the problem of like, you know, we're in our world, our main core issue is that we don't have enough motivation and people aren't inspired enough to take action, to do the things they need, do the things that they need to do and generate ideas and, you know, actually live their lives. This other hypothetical universe would have the opposite problem where instead of being unmotivated and feel, having all this learned helplessness, they'd be, you know, their, their problem with that, they'd be stuck, you know, with, you know, ineffectiveness and not being tied enough to reality and to their mm-hmm. actual situations yeah. that they would not be able to, you know, figure things out, you know? Right. Versus yeah. in our world, our problem is you know, more like lack of motivation. I mean, we still have trouble figuring things out, but like, it, it's more like we're more divided. So when we do figure things out, we have trouble explaining what we figured out to everyone else and formatting it in a way that's compatible with what other people have figured out. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and general, like generative of action where it's like, cause then it's, we still have these two like opposing sides as opposed to what we, you know, what we really should be doing, which is reconciling them into actual. Yeah. Like reconcile, like (laughs) what are our shared values? What are, you know, what do we fear? What, you know, and, and reconciling those so we can come together and move forward from that, from that point. So you know, like, this is one of my problems. This is one of the problems. I have, sorry, go on. No, no, you can. I was going to say, this is, that's one of the problems I have. With, that, yeah, I was going to say, that's one of the problems I have with the average centrist is that they think that by sticking out in the middle, that they are being peacemakers. They're not. 
because if you do, if if you think that you just sticking out in the middle is enough to be the peacemaker, that it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. That means that you don't. That means that you don't understand the values and perspectives of either the far left or the far right, and therefore you cannot make peace between them because you don't understand what either of them care about most. Right. Yeah, you and you recon- can't. You can't reconcile them unless you can make. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, and you can't build, yeah, you can't build bridges. Them, yeah. Right. Yeah. To do that, you would have to actually, you know, understand where both sides are coming from, mm-hmm. you know, and then, you know, do, and appeal to both the extremes, you know, yeah. bring them together that way, you know, by framing things in a way that satisfy both, their, both sides values, you know, yeah. like if you just try to take, take out the middle, all you're, all you're doing is sticking yourself in the middle of a conflict. You're not resolving it unless you can bring the sides together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're just like, you're preventing them from killing each other. Right. You're just like, it's like, you know, creating that barrier, but not, you know, in, an impervious barrier. You're not actually getting them to want to not kill each other and to actually care about each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're just building walls, building walls to continue bashing our heads against, which is not the solution. Um, so as we're, so we're, um, I want to make sure that we get a chance to kind of wrap, uh, kind of wrap up our conversation, but also you, um, you know, our core questions that we're focused on in, uh, in our group in radical action (laughs) circles is really trying to get a good understanding of people's lived experiences, lived experiences of oppression. Yeah. And then um, also, uh, kind of, you know, what, what their paths are, like what their personal path has been to that self-liberation and what you see is, you know, what you would yeah. say is our path towards collective <laughs> liberation. I feel like we've touched on a lot of that um, as well yeah. as, you know, we also ask yeah. people to share, you know, their, their tips, three tips for emerging activists. And I feel like we kind of, we hit on a lot of that, but could you just kind of, yeah. uh, you know, wrap us up and give us a, you know, just your, you know, your final thoughts, summary thoughts about oppression, liberation, and kind of what you see as the path forward for us? Um, funny you should ask that because I actually like have some very particular, you know, you know, laid out plans for that in my book. Yeah. Um, Good. Basically, what I where I would summarize it is that. We need to start getting people to go. The first step, we need people going outside more, you know, because like COVID risk is much lower outdoors compared to indoors. And so far as I can tell, there's not a single bit of social or economic infrastructure that cannot be ported to an outdoors version of it, you know, at least during three seasons out of four, you know. Mm-hmm. So like anything you can think of that you can do inside, chances are you can do it outside too. So that's step one. You know, we need to get people going outside more. You know, the way I would do this is through pickup infrastructure. You know, like, you know, do things that are really easy to start and really easy to get out of if you get bored of it or if you want to just switch to something else, you know. So that way, for instance, you know, you could go outside and like, you know, like print a bunch of flyers that say, five minute open mic here. Well, 
five minute open mic here perform while you perform while you wait for while, while you wait for us to make your food you know, and then you can just like deliver a bunch of copies of that flyer to a bunch of local restaurants and say hey you know could i please put this in your front window and if they're like yeah sure and then you can get people to like actually like have the chance to get their voices heard in open mics that only last for five minutes mm-hmm. outside of the restaurants while they're eating the, while they're waiting for their food to be ready you know then that gives voice to a lot more people you know or other things you could do like get some game that's like really easy to get into and really fun and it only takes like five minutes or five to ten minutes to play and you get that game you set it up you know on like a table on on a table on the sidewalk in downtown or something you know and, and it should also be a game that's also and hopefully it's a game that's not only easy to learn and very easy to get into but also you know challenging the master and you and you as people pass on the street, say, "Hey, you want to try this? It's really easy and fun. You can easy to get into. It's super. It's really fun." And then if people say, "Sure," and somebody sits down for a game with you, you know, there's no expectations. You don't. There's no obligation to continue playing it afterwards. It's like one game. If they like it, great. If they don't like it, okay. You know, and then you can grow community infrastructure that way. You know, around a game like that. You know, around social activities like that. Mm-hmm. You know, another thing. And another thing I had was like a a a, a grant proposal form for basic income so you know the idea is that you fill out the form and then you send it to wealthy investors in order to get them to give you a a regular basic income for a while and then if enough people are sending out those that form often enough to enough investors one it's going to get they're, uh, it's going to get their, it's going to pull their heartstrings, their sympathy, you know, mm-hmm. and two, it'll give them a ton more paperwork. And because they don't want to have to deal with that higher level of paperwork, they're going to start lobbying for UBI for actual universal basic income. They're going to start lobbying the government for that, you know, because they don't want to have to, because they feel bad for us and they have sympathy for us and our plight. And they also want to reduce their paperwork. So they'll start lobbying because if we do that, they'll start lobbying the government for UBI you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's really interesting that you, that you say that because, um, what kind of, what I see as the, as the biggest challenge is that our, our government and our funding structures are based off of, um, statistics and averages like, oh, there's, you know, there's probably about this many of these types of people that fit into this category that need this. So put that, you know, that's in the budget. And there's probably about this many people that have fit into this category. So budget for that, as opposed to it's like starting with the individual or the family, like this is what this actual person, this actual human being, Mm -hmm. this is where they're at. This is what they need. Right. And, and having that grant yeah. proposal, I love <laughs> that idea that of just easily. like, yeah, of saying like, this is, yeah. this is who I am. And so how are you going to help me like fulfill this need? Right. And honestly, it would be so easy for them to do because they're always, they're, the establishment keeps tracking us all individually with their machines and stuff. And with the freaking census, if they can track us individually with right. the freaking census, then do that with their funding structures. Yeah, but then but they just aggregate yeah. it and yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, and I would honestly say that you know, part of the reason for that is because of the lack of social trust. You know, because mm-hmm. like the whole hurts people, hurt people, people don't have control, seek control over others. It's that same deal, you know? Yeah. That's been going on for eons. Like, yeah. honestly, the way I see it, part of the reason it's so hard to get convince people to implement UBI is for the exact same reasons, the exact same sort of problems that UBI, you know, exists to solve. And mm. it's, but, but because, you know, have the internet and our social and more of the social networking stuff and people are getting much more familiar with each other in different cultures and across cultures, different kinds of communities and stuff, people are finally learning to start being kind to each other who are different from them, understanding each other better, you know, yeah. which means that essentially the way I see it is that UBI is the economic and cultural singularity. Mm-hmm. And that if we want our species to survive, we need to pass UBI. We need to actually implement it as soon as possible. Get our economic and cultural singularity to happen before our technological singularity has a chance to. Because once there, because once a singularity happens, there's no turning back. You know, because, and I, and I cover this in my book, you know, basically the thing is that if, if we get artificial superintelligence before we get UBI, that's it for us. Our species doomed from that, you know? Because then it's like, you know, any, any artificial general intelligence, you know, once it goes super, it's gonna, ha- you know, once it's given enough processing power, it'll be able to outsmart humans, you know, and then, it, it, and, and then it'll be able to destroy human civilization before we have the chance to implement a UBI. But if we get our U- UBI implemented, you know, before any, before we can get any super intelligences, then human civilization will be smart enough and competent enough because we have, you know, the funding sources that are incentivizing incentivizing us to be competent and to actually learn Mm -hmm. so when we have that financial incentive for all of us our civil we will individually and collectively become more competent and then when we're more competent our society will be competent enough to shut down any you know nascent artificial general intelligence that rears its ugly head you know Mm -hmm. so you know this is literally you know we need ironically though you know, we need to get people to actually calm down and relax and look around them, you know, and stop feeling like the world's on fire because that feeling of the world's on fire is what causes them to get their defenses up, what causes them to be so, you know, in survival mode and, you know, that, you know, fight or flight, which causes them to mistreat yeah. each other, you know, which is what's co- driving us to, you know, cut off our relationships with each other and replace our relationships with machines, which yeah. is the whole reason that we're in this mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of taking that shift, shifting back to human or shifting to connecting is connecting on a human level, getting to know each other. And it comes to back to that empowerment. Like people need to know that they are more powerful than they think they've been trained. They've been conditioned to believe that they're not powerful and that they have no choice. So, yeah. And it's like, honestly, like, Civilization, people don't often don't realize this because of, you know, all the automation, but mm-hmm. at its core, on its very basic level, what civilization is, it's made of relationships, yeah. civic relationships and personal relationships and relationships between different cultures. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, what kind of moron, you know, says to their partner, you know, computer programs would, you know, manage our relationship better than we do. Or you know, who says to their coworker, <laughs> computer programs would be better at working. <laughs> computer programs would be better at working together than we are. Or you know, even to a foreign country, you know that you know, diplomatic international treaty that we both signed. 
computer programs would be better at sticking to that than we are. Like, what on earth? Yeah. Even if that's true. Even if that's true. That doesn't make that an improvement. That was totally <laughs> bad. But then they're not our relationships anymore. Then we're screwed out of that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we're just, we're just going to, uh, like, give up all responsibility. Like, I, I, I don't, I can't do that. I'm powerless. I'm powerless. Leave, leave it to the computers. They'll let the machines take care of it. They'll solve all of our, all of our problems. They're definitely working in our best interests. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So this has been, this has been awesome, Harry. I, you know, I know that we, you started by yeah. saying that we might have, you know, might be things that we disagree upon, but it seems like we have a lot more that we agree, <laughs> agree upon than anything else. Yeah. And we're, yeah. you know, we're singing, singing from the same page, if you will. Yeah. Um, so it, as, so for like the last thing, how we are always looking to find ways and making sure that we're, um, you know, provide like supporting our guests and, um, you know, uh, being, you know, sharing our gratitude. And yeah. so we have two ways to do that. And what we like to share with our crew is ways what we can support, support you or, or support organizations that you are, um, that you're, uh, that you think are doing good, good work in this world. So for our, the gifts yeah. of gratitude, that opportunities that I can share with our crew, how can we, how can we support you and to, you know, to keep you doing what you're doing and, uh, you know, writing and sharing your perspective and kind of putting out out there what you find to be our solutions. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> my main issue at the moment is that I'm still stuck in this uh, uh, really weird and ridiculous situation where it's like, I have a payee they don't need because I already like I already shower I already you know do my laundry and I you know read write do math go shopping for things they need I, I do all the adulting stuff I'm perfectly fine with that yeah the government does not believe that they do not believe me about that so I still have a legal guardian I'm a ward of the state and unfortunately I've tried to fight this in court and it doesn't really work because if someone tries to argue for their own adulthood well that's what you know, rebellious teenagers do. They argue for their own, for their own adulthood. Yeah. And our society sees that as, if you try to argue for your own adulthood, you know, then that must mean it's not obvious to everyone. And therefore you must not really be an adult because if you were, it would be obvious to everyone. So that's the situation I'm sort of stuck in right now. And, you know, I have a payee who's uh, controls a lot of my money and, you know, they give me uh, a weekly allowance of $125. Um, and they pay a lot of my expenses for me, even though I'd rather do that myself. Um, thankfully though, this system, thankfully though, I've gotten to the point where I've like learned how to like work away, my way around the system for the most part, where it's like, you know, I am at this point, I am now smarter and more competent than my captors. And I'm also, you know, more motivated to escape their clutches uh, than they are to keep me contained. So as long as I you know, don't break the letter of the rules and the restrictions they put on me, I can still break the spirit and they won't, you know, go after me for that you know mm -hmm. but what the, in order to in order for me to do that effectively i need to get people you know building i need to start building and getting other people to build more local social social and economic infrastructure 
you know, you know grassroots kind of infrastructure. So that that way I can secure other sources, you know, of of the four things that I need to have control over my own life. You know, and these are the same four things that anyone needs to have control over their own life, you know, that anyone needs to take away someone else's leverage over them, which are their money, their body, their social connections, and their information sources. Those four things. If I can build enough infrastructure in my local area to secure those four things in other ways that don't rely on the government, you know, then I, I'll be free, you know? So, so that's what I'm trying to do. And, it, and in order to help, help me with that, one thing you could do is to, you know, share my book, you know, don't read this book, it's a waste of your time. You share that around with people, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of useful things for that, you know, in there for doing that sort of stuff. Another thing you can do is, you know, support your local time bank, you know, jo- and jo- join your local time bank or start a new one, that sort of thing, you know, because time banks are really helpful for like uh, the form of like more local grassroots type of socioeconomic infrastructure. You know, that will help decentralize things a bit. Another thing you could do <clears throat> would be to, uh, another thing you could do would be to start offline time banks, which I discussed a little bit in my book. Um, basically the idea is that instead of just relying on like internet time banks, you can make a, a form of time bank that doesn't require, that where you just have a bulletin board in your local trust network in your community. And people post offers and requests to that bulletin board. And, and then you, you, somebody you know, picks up the offer that you posted there. You maybe it says something like, oh, I wanna, I'm, gonna, I'm going to clean somebody's lawn for an hour, you know? Mm-hmm. And, then they, and then they pick it up, you arrange a time for you to meet, you discuss it, you do it. And then after you've mowed their lawn, it's like uh, for an hour, then it's like you both sign off on it along with your, you put your signatures as well as your contact information and how much time you actually spent mowing their lawn. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the offer get, the offer paper gets returned to the person who did the work, and they flip it over and write a request on it, and then post it back on the bulletin board. And the request, like, hopefully, should be like about the same amount of time or less as the work they did. You know, things like that. You know, I just want to you know start start building things. You know, start yeah. going outside, being with your communities. You know, sharing things. You know, you know, and especially share my book. You know, like, and also the basic income grant proposal form that I wrote up, you know, and I can link that to you if you, if I, I think I'm going to send it to you, but it's, it's also linked in my book. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things I'm doing for self-publishing is printing flyers with QR code links on them to my book, you know, so that way I can self-publish on the street. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if people just, you know, start, you know, paying it forward, getting the word out and, and make sure to credit me for the ideas that I've come up with, you know, when you, when you use them, if you can, I mean, you don't have to, but it would be really much appreciated. Yeah. And also, um, I'm sort of doing a sort of pay it forward, mo- uh, sorry, a, a pay, a pay what you will model for the work I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to pay me for what I'm doing. You can, you definitely get it for free, but if, if, if anyone wants to pay me anything for what I'm doing, they're feel free to pay what they want to, however much they feel willing or want to give me. Mm-hmm. They don't have to, but they can, if they want. Yeah. So value-based contribution to you. So, and is that available on yes. your website where we can, um, or can you, is there a, do you have well, a, a method? I to, a link to it on. Yeah. yeah. I have a PayPal, but I don't currently have access to it because I, my phone broke and I don't have in it. And because I don't have access to my university email, 
mm-hmm. because that requires two-factor authentication. I'm gonna have to set up like a new like PayPal or a new like something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'll, 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 I can let you know uh, once I have that. I can give it, give the link to whatever the new like if I do a Patreon or something. You know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, just keep us posted on that, and um, until then, yeah. we will continue to we'll um, you know promoting your work and sharing your work and your um, yeah I appreciate that yeah yeah because I like there there's there's so much great stuff that you've put out there and just like and I haven't even read the whole thing um right. and I <laughs> and just like the little bit I was like oh my gosh this this guy like right. <laughs> yeah I had, fun, I had fun writing this yeah yeah that's good and I can, t- I can writing tell it. And it's been it's been yeah. really good to get to know you a little bit better, yeah. Harry. And I hope yeah, that we you. can yeah, you continue to continue to um, you know work together, work in in unison. I know that you know Alex yeah. is heavily involved in our group. Um, and yeah, I should so. probably start being involved in the group too more. Like I, originally, I was thinking it would be more his thing, but now I'm realizing I probably should do a show up more often too. You know. <laughs> well, it's good. Well, we'd love to see you. We like yeah. you know it's a. It's yeah, a pretty, I like the, I really like the, the format that we use that yeah. we utilize. So, um, yeah. and okay. Well, do you have any final parting words before right. we sign off for today? You can do it. Believe yeah. in yourself. <laughs> I love it. Like, <laughs> well, like, thank- don't, let any, don't let anyone tell you that you can't, not even yourself. Cause you can, you can. Because honestly, you know, all of you have a lot more experience than I do in the real world. And therefore, you can leverage that experience more. You can leverage that experience more. You know, because if I'm able to write a book like this with almost no personal experience, and after having been heavily mentally and emotionally and socially impaired most of my life up until the past couple of years, if I can do this, anyone can. You know, (laughs) so stop telling yourselves you can't. Well, I love that. I hope like, I will take that. I take that. I will take that to heart. Um, And I know that there are a lot of other people that really need to, too, because our, you know, we have a tendency as humans to doubt ourselves. um, or Well, we are conditioned to doubt ourselves and um, sell ourselves short. So it's and then people overcompensate and then people try to overcompensate that for that by clinging to the first great idea they've noticed or that they think of. And they think, oh, you know, this is going to save us. You know? And then yeah. they get super overconfident in that particular thing to compensate for how underconfident they are in themselves in every other way. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the impression. I'll I often get that impression too. Well, thank you so much, Harry. I really, I really appreciate this. Yeah. I look forward to um, seeing you in circle if you're able to make it or, um, you know, yeah. you're always welcome Isn't back on the good? podcast. Um, it's on Saturdays at uh, 10 a.m. Alaska time. So that's. To podcast or the circle? The circle. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. 10 a.m. Uh, I'm going to have to write that down again. 10 a.m. on Saturday, Alaska time? Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. And I'll ask Alex if I, I'll ask Alex again if I forget. So, yeah. So. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. It was it was great. It was great talking to you. Yeah, great talking to you too, Abby. 